Welcome to the CSI Wake Forest Podcast, where we're examining the counselor student experience from the inside out. My name is Bobby Lang, and myself and our three other hosts are current students in the Wake Forest Counseling Program. Our hope is to provide insights about our experiences in the program and explore topics related to what it means to become a counselor. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you find whatever it is you're looking for. Alrighty, well, welcome everyone to the CSI Wake Forest podcast. My name is LB, and we are here today with uh, Dr. Michelle Ghostin. She is a current professor of counseling here at Wake Forest University, and she's also a licensed professional counselor in Virginia and in North Carolina. Um, in addition to her teaching and her clinical experience, she's she's also interested in um, cultural competency and awareness, neuroscience, and broaching. Dr. Ghostin, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So today we just wanted to talk a little bit about counseling swag. Um, and that's a bit of a broad topic, okay. but, um, you know, there's something unique about how counselors interact with their clients and with each other. Um, and I think you called it best as your counseling swag. So we just wanted to touch on that for today. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Counseling swag. Right. So I guess our first question um, we have is, what does it mean to have a counseling swag? Wow. I, I use that term, I think, um, and didn't realize it was catching on for a while. So I was like, I need to come up with an acronym for it. Still haven't done that yet. Maybe I will. Uh, you know, I was looking for research opportunities. But, you know, the swag is my my word, <clears throat> if you will, my term. <clears throat> um, the more professional or research oriented phrase might be counselor identity. Um, might also be um, your way of being in a session. Um, counseling swag is is that uh, for me is a little bit of humor in session. It's uh, being able to challenge my clients um, from a place of you know really getting on a personal level when I know they're not you know telling me straight or they're you know maybe a little bit afraid or anxious. And we have a very well-established relationship. I can call them on that. And, you know, I think of uh, different strokes going up. I'm telling my age now. And be like, what you talking about? Right? Like, I-, I know that they're not telling me information straight. So my swag comes out in how I am able to interact with my clients. Uh, another way I would say um, to use, again, more the professional side of things, the counselor identity, is that I teach theories, and my gut is that's probably where I first said uh, said the term to, to your, your, your group, your cohort, is that we watch so many videos and the videos are, you know, 50s and the 60s. And oftentimes I get students that say, you know, gosh, I want to do person-centered therapy like Carl Rogers. Well, good luck. Like one where Carl Rogers was Carl Rogers and we can't implement that. But what we can do is take pieces of Carl Rogers and implement into our own way of embodying person-centered counseling, working on congruency with clients, 
um, and embody that to be our own swag, our own way of being person-centered and focusing on the whole person um, from that perspective. So it's also a way to get cl- uh, students away from trying to imitate when we watch videos. Um, another quick example would be also looking at Gestalt. You know, usually what I get is, I didn't like the way Pearls interacted with Gloria, right? We all know the Gloria films now. And so instead of focusing on Pearls, I want people to focus on the fact that uh, while he was in his element and his swag was pretty loud, his intervention style was amazing and very useful. Um, And so if you can figure out how to do that and not pay attention to how he did it and develop your own swag, there's many elements of Gestalt therapy that are beneficial. Yeah. You know, what you're saying now is like really significant to me because I remember going through that first semester in the program and really feeling the pressure to find what box I should fit inside of. And so I remember when you were saying you got to find your swag and, you know, as you said it, we could see you, you in your own swag, even if we didn't know what it fully meant at that time. And so that's kind of like why it resonated with us. Cause we were like, here's this, you know, professor who's mm-hmm. teaching us these theories, but at the same time, she seems to have embodied them in a way that they're her own. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, is Ooh, this swag. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. We can sit on that in a minute. I'm just going to tie this question in. Is this swag something that you learn over time or is it something that life life experience and becoming a counselor like taught you? Like were there experiences that really shaped this in you? Wow. And so now to me, this this embodies the whole my whole belief system in regards to kind of identity, but cultural awareness uh, being. Um, in tune to who you are as a counselor. I believe it's both and. I believe we grow, we change over time. I believe as maybe novice counselors, we don't have yet the confidence to truly allow ourselves to be, just be yourself in the session. Um, You know, both of you here as school counselors know that students, um, they're going to be students and they're not looking for, um, you know, this all knowing expert to enter their realm and tell them what to do and what not to do, especially if you're in high school and maybe even middle school. Right. They need someone that will connect with them, will embrace them, will embrace their circumstance, their family. Um, and it's much more than just working with the student. You have administration, you have teachers, you have parents. And you can't just be this one way. I'm the counselor. You got to do this in order for yourself, in order to pass or in order to be a successful student. You've got to figure out your way of being your own swag with the student. Do they see you as the counselor is going to walk in and give them a high five? That's going to meet them at the bus and say, you know, I'm so glad you're here. And you might think the first year or two, gosh, I really got to you know, just get them to like me first, right? That's a normal thing. But in getting them to like you, you got to be yourself because also, especially at the K through five, six, they'll call you out quickly. Miss Brittany, uh uh-uh, that's not what you said. And you're like, oh gosh, I'm not being professional. So you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to be professional, 
But I think over time you learn to where your solid boundaries are with students, with clients, um, and you become more and more comfortable with really being yourself. And you begin to integrate who you are, your swag, if you will, uh, and they can see your personality. Um, So for me, um, when I, I guess what you would say, entered the profession, I started working at a group home and I was um, the house parent for a while. And over the years, I ended up holding other positions. But when I left for the final time, actually it wasn't the final time, close to one of the final times when I left them because I ended up working with them over a decade. The highest praise I got from my supervisor at the time, and she said, Michelle, you are the biggest advocate for those boys I've ever seen. Now, these boys were young men that had, in most cases, been adjudicated. Um, Some of them had, uh, you know, really uh, poor social skills, um, oftentimes no biological parents in the picture, um, behavioral issues, etc., uh, and what she meant by that is that there were times I had to be, you know, their house parent because, you know, we cooked, we cleaned. There's times I had to be disciplinarian. But there were times where people would prejudge them. Oh, you live at Presbyterian homes. Oh, yeah, you must. Yeah, we're suspending you. And I had to go fight for them. I had to say, absolutely not. I mean, I know they've been in trouble a lot this semester. Right. Owning that. But let's look at this case and let's not prejudge them. And so she said, she said, I've seen you go against police officers. And I'm like, really? I don't remember that. Um, parents, administrators in a professional manner, but really standing up for your students. Um, and for me, that was powerful to hear because I wanted my students to know that, yeah, you're in a group home and yeah, you've done some messed up things and you um, people don't expect you to excel or succeed, or they expect that you're going to be in jail or killed. But on my watch, I'm going to support you. And when I think you're right, I'm going to go to battle for you. And, I, and I'm not looking at your rap sheet. I'm looking at, here's a student who's being suspended because of his record and not because they did something this time. Um, and so I think in addition to, you know, being the disciplinarian and, and parental role at times, I had to step outside of maybe what was called for for the role in order to support the students that live there at the group home. And that was empowering. And it was empowering for the students and it was empowering for me. And I think our relationships uh, grew because of that. Um, and that's I think that brings in the idea of swag and developing kind of your own way of being. And, yeah, I think that was important for me to make some adjustments as a provider in that case. So would you say like your experience working with these young boys is what cultivated your swag? Or do you feel like you have other things along your journey that really um, were like red flags along the way that said, hey, this Mm. is pouring in? You know, because we have these unique experiences in life that really alert us to things that are developing in us. Mm -hmm. Was it just... Mm-hmm. working with these young men or was it a class you took uh, a person you worked with a professor you had someone you met oh wow I, I think it definitely started with those those young men I mean now those young men you know um, I can't say that all of them didn't get in trouble I mean but some of them have had are in the military currently have their own families 
um, you know, and uh, are still in my home community. So occasionally I'll see, you know, their mom or their grandmother and they'll say, yeah, he's still hanging in there. And that's that's amazing for the spirit. Right. Just to know, okay, this person was not supposed to make it to have their own kid and be successful. Right. And success to them might be, you know, holding down a steady job and taking care of their kids and staying out of trouble. That's success. And so I would say it started there. But again, I believe this is a lifelong journey. Uh, In my master's program, um, I have a mentor who who's like my dad now. Um, He was just very impactful with being himself um, in my own growth, calling me out on stuff, because at that point in my career, I had worked at the group home for four or five years. I came in with experience. Um, and he said, you know, yeah, you want to be a mental health counselor now. You've got to shape that to now fit mental health and not just your interventions with those young boys. Um, and so, you know, my mentor, Dr. Nielsen, was a huge impact and still is like now he's like a friend and um, a clinical psychologist. So I can call him my mental health stuff for my own self, clients, everybody like I need help with this. Um, but he embodies and he still does this sense of um, wholeness, if you will. It's amazing to me how he, as a psychologist, uh, he doesn't teach anymore, but as a clinical psychologist, still has a passion for the work and he deals with addictions. And I'm like, wow, addictions are tough. And he's like, those are the clients I like. I remember him telling me that. I like the clients that people sometimes say, "Eh, they're not going to make it. That's a challenge for me. And I think I picked that up. I, in fact, do enjoy resilient, maybe tough clients. Um, And maybe that part of my swag and who I am is just the challenge of and the belief that everybody can change, everybody can adjust. So I believe that at the group home, it probably started, um, to be very honest, it probably started even before the group home, just in my own upbringing um, in in the household. My mom, is not an educated woman, but she valued education and said that you had to fight for things and that you had to sometimes stand out and stand up for people and it'll come back to you at some other point. So it probably started before then, but as far as for the profession, the group home, and I still think I'm developing it now Um, as an educator, how do I convey um, in the classroom that I want everybody to learn and I want everybody to get this but we're dealing with real minds, right? This is not one of those jobs where you can just turn it on, turn it off. This is a real job and you got to bring yourself. Clients know when we bring ourselves to the table. And I think we invoke more change when they know we're being real with them, even when it's tough, even when we've got to make some tough decisions, even when they're going through, you know, all the stuff that's happening in the world now. Um, I'm excited to actually be starting to see clients again here in North Carolina. So I'm excited about that. And I think my swag will look maybe even a little different because it's been a little while since I've seen clients, but due to the state of our world, I feel like there's a need. And so um, I want to go fill my little spot, my little corner of that need. So I would say many starting points, many growing points. But, you know, as I think about it, I can find situations that I can point to of like, yeah, that really helped me develop more of myself 
my identity, my swag. Yeah, it sounds like you've had a lot of very enriching experiences, both personally and professionally. Um, and you've been able to lean on a lot of colleagues to uh, kind of continue to support you in all of your endeavors. Um, so sure. um, I'm uh, kind of curious about how your swag is related to you as a person. Um, and so I guess kind of like your counselor identity is, is it the same or is it, does it kind of mirror who you are as a person, as an individual, or is that something that you switch up um, from client to client? Um, and like you said, you turn it on and off between your professional self and your personal self. And you guys come bringing the hard questions uh, for this podcast. I see. Um, wow, that's that's a tough question. Honestly, I think to get the real answer, I think you'd have to ask people in my my bubble, in my world, in my personal life and professional life. Um, I think I've probably said this, and this might sound maybe a little bit facetious, but I really don't believe there's a client I can't work with. I really don't believe that. There might be clients that we don't get along or we're not a good fit, and we figure that out. Um, I also believe that there's not a lot of people that I don't get along with. We can have different beliefs, different ideals, but if we're respectful and can have conversations, I enjoy it when people don't think the same way I think because that challenges me to think differently. So I'm in that way with my daughter, which she hates. She's like, well, I, I just, I just want to throw this out there. I'm like, right. You're throwing it out there, but now it's out there. So now let's talk about it. I'm that way with my friends. One of my good friends, in fact, literally just texted me. She just started her PhD and she decided to go way to Wyoming. I'm like, I can help you in Wyoming. And she's like, yeah, we can zoom, we can text. Um, and I said, um, and she officially said, well, but can you be my mentor? And I said, Hmm. Mentor has a different context than your friend who supports you because as your friend, I try to make you feel good. Like I don't want to you know, hurt your feelings. I want to, as your mentor, my task is to make sure you come out being the best educator you can be. Um, and so I think it's part of who I am. I like challenges. I like um, discussion. I like um I like being who I am. And I think I think it takes more work to try to be this way in the class and this way with the clients and this way. Like, that's a lot of energy. I can't keep up. So I would say I'm the same. But I also know that certain clients maybe can't deal with, like, how direct I am, how, you know, uh, maybe challenge. They kind of get a little bit fearful of challenge. So I say that I'm capable of making adjustments, which I think we have to as client, as clients or as counselors, we have to make adjustments. So do I change? I think I grow and learn. So I don't want to say this is just how I am, but I feel like across the board, friends, family, spiritual life, uh, professional life, um, I bring strength to the table, but I bring flexibility 
Um, and I bring that part of my swag is being able to lead as well as follow. And I think clients need to see that too. Um, but recognizing for cultural reasons, trauma, sometimes clients that have gone through different traumas, my approach has to be different. And so I don't want to say I don't adjust. I think adjust change, I would say no, not from setting to setting, but make adjustments to meet the needs of my client. Hopefully I answered that question. No, it, it definitely answered it. Um, it's kind of like a meet your client where they are um, kind of thing. Absolutely. And your, your swag is very dynamic um, and you know how to incorporate who you are in a great way that your clients still feel comfortable and are um, accepting of your more direct nature of how you help them. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope so. I mean, and there's times, I mean, I, I like it also when clients can tell me like, you know, that didn't work for me or, you know, I know you were trying to be funny or something like that, but you know, that hurt my feelings or, and I want that relationship with the client, right? Like, cause that's, I don't imagine any counselor really wanting to, we're not in the business of hurting someone's feeling or making them feel bad. We're up into uplifting, but depending on the type of clients you work with, you've sometimes got to let them know, like, I'm here for you, but I'm not going to give you some answer or some response uh, just to make you feel good. Um, you know, I it, some of you were, uh, as counselors, you work with folks that this is their very life. You know, this is their job. And if they can't show up to work and, and not be intoxicated, they're going to lose their job. Like it's, and so, yeah, I can sit there and listen to you and be sympathetic and empathize and reflect. I can do all of those because I have those skills. But I know you're going to court in a month, right? And maybe your children's well-being is riding on that, whether you remain custody. So you need that job to go to court. Like This is real life. And so again, I can use all my skills to be an active listener, but there may be a point where I want to stop and say, listen, this is not going very well for you. And if if you don't do X, Y, or Z, it could look really bad for you in a month. Um, it's your choice. I can't force you, right? And I want to help you, but we gotta we gotta get the work done. So it depends on the client clients you work with and and what what the end goals are. Sometimes of sometimes being able needing to adjust your swag to make sure you accommodate the client, and hopefully I'm able to do that. I really like one of the things you said earlier about appreciating the challenge. And I always admire people who admire the challenge and embrace the challenge. And so that kind of like led me to wondering, was there ever a time where you felt like there was a challenge to walking in your own swag uh, where you had to, you know, fight or hold your ground in the space that you're occupying? Um and, you know, just because sometimes not everybody, you know, rocks with somebody else's swag. Not everybody can understand someone else's swag. And so sometimes there can be a pressure to conform mm-hmm. to the swags of others that have gone before you, that are around you. And in the counseling field, you know, as much as we work with clients, there's also levels of advocacy. There's also a level of like community and networking that you do. 
So is there ever a time where you Mm -hmm. felt challenged in who you were? And if so, how did you, you know, stand your ground and hold on to the person you knew you were supposed to be? Oh, wow. Um, I would say absolutely. Yes. Um, the, honestly, the first real time that, that comes to mind in this very moment is in my PhD program, um, where we had a pretty small cohort and, um, I came to the table with, um, I, I, I mean, I was ready to work again. I'm, I'm here to like, you know, if my professors want me to study rocks, I, I'm, I'm here. Okay. Let's study rocks. Um, I was there to, um, I was working like, I mean, this wasn't my only area of focus. I'd already been a mental health counselor for four or five years. I'd already taught a little bit as an adjunct professor. Um, and so I knew that my clinical skills and supervision skills were good. I needed to learn how to do research. Um, I needed to um, learn more about application and being an educator. Like, And I was embracing all those things. What I did not at the time go looking for was connecting with my cohort members. I mean, that's not what I went to school for. I went to work. I mean, I went to learn to study. And if I made some friends in the process, great, but that wasn't my focus. Um, my program, and I would say maybe my cohort members, I was an outlier. Um, they were there to kind of connect and, you know, go have a drink after class and and for me, I was probably driving an hour and a half to go because I had to work the next day. So my mind was just, let's go knock this out. You know, research what you need to research. Again, be cordial, be nice. But that wasn't my focus. And I didn't think it mattered in a PhD program. <laughs> like, nobody cares about being my friend. Only to find out they were like, well, we want to get to know you. We want to interact with you. And um, the analogy I used then, and it still pops in my head, like, um, you guys were playing a game of baseball <laughs> and you guys want me to um, hit a home run and run the bases as quickly as you, as you want me to. Um, you guys are microwaves. I'm a crock pot. You wanted the connection, the trust to happen like overnight. I ain't here for that. I mean, that's, that was just my, you know, I ain't here for that. I can get there. I can serve you up the same meal that microwave and my crock pot is probably going to taste better because it's going to be authentic and true in that crock pot because it's going to take its time and I'm going to be on base one, but y'all going to be rounding home plate, but I'll get there, but I'm not going to rush it to appease you. Well, that created just uh, um, struggles with connecting. And so I think, you know, and also being an African-American woman, um, a direct woman, I think it made it tough because they saw it as maybe too direct or, you know, we know the phrase angry black woman um, or she's not here to connect with us and learn. Um, I was there for the learning part, not so much for the connecting part. So I had to adjust, you know, and I would say probably, you know, by the time I left the program, I'd done a little bit better with that. Um, happy to say that I'm still in contact with most of them. Um, from my cohort and beyond, but I would say my 
PhD program because I had experience and was developing, quote unquote, my swag and went to get a PhD with intention. Like, and not that people don't do it for intention, just my goals were to learn, study from the professors and move on, not necessarily embrace getting to know them. Um, and I think initially they saw that as abrasive and unfriendly. And I had to adjust a little bit. Um, I can't say that I changed completely. I had to get my viewpoint across, but it wasn't that I didn't like them or those kinds of things. But yeah, so that was probably a time where, you know, and it'd be curious to know what they would say. I know what one person would say, but we'll talk about that on a different podcast. <laughs> you remember that that person I told you guys about in class that I said, I wasn't sure, this is probably cultures. Yes. I said that uh, they're like a friend, acquaintance, associate, that person. Yes. Yeah, no, nah, I don't roll with them. I ain't rolled too much with them then, and now definitely not. You might want to edit that, Bobby. No, no, we're not editing this. This is why we're not going to edit this, because we previously did a podcast, the one that's probably before this one, on cohort support and building relationships with your cohort. And so this is why I like what you said, because Mm. obviously building connections with your cohort is a huge thing in the counseling field. It's something that people Mm -hmm. take very seriously in because we interact with each other on such a deep level before we built trust, you know, it's an important topic, Mm -hmm. but I like what you said because you knew who you were as a person. You brought up the fact that you didn't have to change who you were as a person, but you adapted to the circumstance. And so I think what you said is really important and really key, you know, for people who have different personalities or who have different life experiences where you're coming into a culture where people have these expectations for you. um, And, Mm -hmm you're trying to be who you are yet still adapt and be flexible. So I appreciated it. Yep. Got Got to do it at some point. And I think acceptance that, you know, I think about this and, you know, we're not going to talk about politics here because we would be on that subject a long time. But I think it's the same thing in the political realm when we think of differences, right? Like I have to, as a counselor, be willing to engage with people that believe differently than me. I have to be open with that. I have to be non-judgmental. It does not mean I have to adjust my um, belief system to now believe what they believe, right? And vice versa. I don't need to convince them to believe how I believe. That's, and I think sometimes as counselors, we're part of what we develop as identity as swag is I got to get them to change their mind. Well, there are some things that's hurtful or illegal, then yes. But if it's just your mindset and how you think about things, maybe we can talk in, in a way that you can at least reconsider and make adjustments when necessary. Um, but that that gives us space to embrace people that are different and have different ideas and don't we don't have to change people's minds. Right. We um, and we don't have to necessarily change ours. We grow, we adjust uh, and we are flexible in our learning and, and work. And hopefully clients can do that same thing um, in their lives. Yeah, I really appreciate the mindset of how can we adjust ourselves to the situation? How can our clients adjust themselves to the situation? Um, Because I think a lot of recent events have led to a lot of rigidity in thinking and being. Um, And so I think as counselors, we also need to 
continue to learn how to adjust ourselves accordingly, um, but still maintain who we are as individuals. And same with our clients, mm-hmm. kind of teaching them how to be flexible and adjust to their situations, but don't lose hold of who they are. Um, same with our peers mm-hmm. and our cohort. Um, it kind of goes along the lines of what Brittany mentioned in a previous podcast of building friendships in reverse, where everything's kind mm-hmm. of laid out on the line on day one. But then you work backwards to kind of um, build those closer connections. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, Very nice. But I did want to close with one final question for you about your swag and, um, okay. and everything. And so my last question is what advice would you give for aspiring counselors, um, whether they are looking at counselor programs or they are currently in one and they are still trying to figure out who they are as a counselor, what advice would you give them um, in terms of identifying their swag? That's a trap question, LB, because you know we're not supposed to give advice. See, you tried to get me, but I just want to call that out. You was trying to get me, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to give some ideas and recommendations, (laughs) not advice. Um, You know, we all start at a point and, you know, you've you've heard this phrase before. When we feel like we got it all, it is time to retire. Right. When we feel like I can I can do it all. I don't have to change. I don't have to adjust. I don't have to learn anything else. That's dangerous, ethically dangerous, physically dangerous, mentally dangerous. Um, As a counseling student, one, if you are interested in becoming a counselor, um, I believe we all have an interest in helping people. I think that's a a foundation. Um, I would say be careful if you're a person that have to have things your way wrong profession. Um, We have to be flexible. We have to go with the flow. Again, doesn't mean we agree or like, you know, this is how I would do it, but we, our clients need us to be flexible in, I can't think of any, I mean, you might say a prison where you can't be, but so flexible, but they still have choice and thought, right? Um, So we have to uh, expect the unexpected. Um, And, even in a counseling program, I feel like as novice counselors, your work doesn't really start until after you graduate. Uh, not your physical work. You have practicum hours. You have internship hours. But once you are outside of the academic bubble, because I do p- think that provides a bubble where you don't necessarily have the professor, the supervisor, cohort member, and and maybe you didn't do a good job connecting with people because maybe you were kind of like me. You were there to get that master's degree, get a job and move on. And you didn't adjust. It's going to be scary once you're in the real world and don't have someone to consult with. In our field, we also talk about consultation that I need to reach out to Brittany or LB to say, hey, I have this client and I'm struggling. Help me. Or what are some other ideas? So if I'm in the program and I haven't really figured out my identity, my swag, who I want to be as a counselor, that's okay. 
I would say make sure you make some connections within the cohort, within your faculty, um, so that you have, you want someone to be able to send a quick email to. I mean, I've been, since the group home, I literally started working at the group home maybe two months after finishing my bachelor's degree. So what, at the age of 21, 22, so long ago, I don't even remember when. But I didn't, I mean, I had a psych and social degree. I mean, what is that going to tell me about working with young men who have been, have more life experience than I can imagine? Um, Some of them were 17 and I'm 22. I mean, whoa, that's a big difference. No, it's not, right? And so I had to be willing to go ask the other counselor. I had to be willing to, you know, you know, we didn't have the cell phones, but, you know, beep on the beeper. Yeah, the pager. Yeah, we had to page someone, right? As a novice counselor, make sure you build your network. And so your swag within that comes by being willing to reach out. Um, Even to this day, even with a class, you know, I I have friends from the West Coast to here, uh, Canada, and there's nothing for me to text. Hey, I'm doing this activity this week in class. What do you think about that? Um, Just this week, I was doing something with Zoom and I texted my friend in Wyoming and my daughter and said, jump on Zoom and see how this sounds. Like, you have to be willing to do that. And, you know, my daughter's the first one like, that sounds crazy, mom. Right. She's not a mental health person. She does security. But if she tells me that I need to be able to say, well, gosh, well, how might that sound to a counseling student? Or what if I said that to a client that might be like so you've got to be willing to hear those things from people that are in your circle. Um, After you graduate, my hope is that your your swag continues to develop, because, again, if you think I'm graduating with Wake from this this great school and I got it all. I hate to disappoint you um, that that's not realistic. Um, we give and provide a great education, but the real work happens when you're in the field, when you're um, starting that job and you you have coworkers around you and you're not sure and you got to go back and redo something. You got to go back to a client and say, hey, I, I probably came off in a different direction. Maybe we should do this. That's developing your swag. Um, swag is exciting and can be fun if that's part of your personality, but it also can bring a part of, of being humble, right? There's many times I have to say to a client, oh, that, that didn't sit with you well, did it? Well, no, it was okay. No, you can tell me that that was off, right? And that you got to be comfortable with that. You got to be comfortable when clients say that was not helpful at all. Right. And not take it personal. Oh, gosh, they don't like me. They, you know, right. When a client except in some mandated situation, if you're working in a hospital or something, they spend their time, in some cases, money to come back and see you in school. They I mean, in some ways they have to come see the counselor, but depending on your school setting. Right. Like some if you're doing mainly the enrollment and scheduling and stuff like that, they don't necessarily have to come interact with you. Do you want to be the counselor that even students that's not on your caseload like, yeah, there's Miss Brittany. Hey, there's Mr. LB. Right. Because they're like, that's a school counselor. Or you go to counseling. No, but I know who they are. They come outside. We like, do you want that? Or do you want when I'm in trouble, I go to Brittany's office. Right. What do you want? Right. Do you want recommendations when my clients leave my office to say, Gosh, we worked together for six months. It was a struggle for the first couple of months, but I think we got somewhere. Do you want that? 
Or do you want, you were the best counselor ever and they never recommend you to someone else? I take the first one where we had to struggle a little bit. We got there, you made some changes and you'll tell your friends and you'll tell your neighbors, yeah, you know, that Dr. Ghostin, she's going to hold you accountable, but you can get some work done with her. I take that um, versus the, um, so don't give up on um, developing your swag. I guess going back to one of the earlier questions, I do believe it's a process. I do believe you can learn from seminars and trainings, but it's over time that you develop into who you are and and how you want to be as that counselor. That was a long answer. I I appreciate that answer. And I'm sure whoever listens to this podcast is going to appreciate that as well. Um, Because even for me, uh, I've been thinking about how do I develop my swag and um, there have been times where I say, is this what I want to do or how do I want to implement my own style into um, who I want to be as a school counselor? And being at my internship site, I've seen the multiple counselors who are there kind of implement their own swag of some could do more explaining, some are more direct. Um, and they can still have that level of, I'm here to support you, but when I have to, I'm going to kind of, you know, challenge you a little bit. Um, and being frank with students, being frank with, uh, with teachers, being frank with coworkers, it's, it's part of their swag and their identity as who they are. And so they already have this reputation throughout the school of, oh, well, I know I can go to this counselor if I need X, Y, Z done. And the same thing for uh, like, okay, well, if I need to make sure that, you know, the student is going to graduate on time, um, can they do a quick check on their grades? Can they do a quick check on how the student is doing if they've been out of school for a couple of days? Who can I trust who's going to have that approachability? Um, So that's kind of how I want to be as a counselor, having that dual identity of I can be the tough love kind of person, but I can also be that person who's going to still um, support you in your endeavors, whether you are high-flying in school or you just need a lot of support around you. And those students will remember that. I mean, we can probably go back and think about counselors we had in school. One of my counselors literally is like one of my Facebook friends now, like from, I think she was my home ec teacher at first, like in middle school. And then she became my high school counselor. I'm like, wow, you're still like important in my life. Like, why are you still around? I don't even like remember anything impactful, but I just remember uh, chatting with her. And, and now that you even, now that I even think about it, I actually don't think she was my counselor. I think she was like some of my friends counselor and I knew of her, but my counselor was down the hall. And when I went into the counseling, I, I would always stop and talk to her. Right. So that impact could be, it doesn't even have to be your student or your client. It's just, they know you from the presence and the interactions and they can carry on for a lifetime. And I think that's the impact we have in the power that we have as counselors, that we leave those small little imprints 
with every person we work with. And that's pretty powerful. I agree. Um, I just started doing the guidance lessons at my elementary school and we were recording them and students would show up in the school and they would come down the hall and go, hi, Miss Level, I saw you on the video. And it just really made me realize, like, you know, that the small things you do have a widespread impact um, and that people will know you and that especially children, they're looking for who you are as a person, how you make them feel, what you said to them. Um, And so just for me, it was um, a reminder to be mindful of the small levels of impact that have like widespread effects and not just always the big stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, the kids are impressionable. They, they are watching, <laughs> listening and watching all the time. Even when they act like they're not, they are. <clears throat> Again, bless you as school counselors. I don't think I could do it. Hmm. I'm sure I'm sure you could do it. Um, it it'd be a journey, but I have every confidence that you would be a good school counselor. I appreciate that, LB. But sometimes you just got to stay in your own lane, and I'm gonna let you be in that lane and be the best LB you can be. And I'm gonna stay in this lane over here, and I hope our lanes connect. But you be the best school counselor ever and I'm gonna not enter that realm because I'm gonna stay on this side Dr. of the track. Says she's sticking to her swag, okay? I'm sticking yes, I'm gonna stick to my swag. That's a good point. Don't try to emulate no one else's swag. There you go. Yes. Yeah, final point. Don't emulate anyone else's swag. Well Yeah we drop the mic. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate you for uh, joining us today, Dr. Ghostin. It was very insightful. It was fun. Definitely. And so we hope that um, we can continue to have further conversations, whether on the podcast or elsewhere. Um, I'm sure Bobby or other students who hop on the podcast will love to bring you on and um, just have another conversation. Definitely. I feel like I've been hanging out with a couple of the second years for a bit here, CSI, and Bobby happens to be my GA, and yeah, it's cool, because I don't get to see the second years very much, and of course, being remote, and that makes it even worse, so it's it's great to see you, so feel free to reach out. It's awesome. Definitely. Any parting words, Brittany? Just thank you. I was really looking forward to this podcast because the moment in class you brought up flag, I said, that is something I'm going to have to pick her brain about. Um, And I just, I appreciate the honesty that you laid out when you were talking to us. Um, I appreciate the ideas you gave us, even if you didn't want to give us the word advice. Um, And just owning who you are, because honestly, when you own who you are, parts of that are made known even without your words. So just thank you for being you. Thank you for the impact that you've had on us as students. Yay, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity.